Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ghost Spider Groupies, the podcast dedicated to Gwen Stacy of Earth 65, also known as Spider Gwen and Ghost Spider, where we review her comics, discuss news, and give our opinions about all things Gwen 65. I'm Abigail. And I'm Pax. Uh, This week, uh, for our week Gwen update, we have the uh, solicit for Spider-Gwen, Gwenverse number three, uh, which is set to release May 18th. Did it say May 18th or did it say April 27th? It says May 18th on the solicit on Previews World that I'm looking at right now. Okay, though, then it got pushed back. Yes. uh, So with all of the delays, uh, we'll be reading this in it come May. Um, so, uh, yeah, so this is the, uh, Tim Seeley written Jody Nishijima, uh, drawn, uh, series following Gwen meeting a variety of different Gwens across the multiverse, except, um, this is a different one. It's cause it's talking about, it's, it says dimension hopping, but also another thing that this has been touching on is, is time traveling. So the solicit reads, Ghost Spider's time traveling slash dimension hopping mission continues. Gwen has landed in her universe is 1954. So then how can there be somebody running around with her face carrying Captain America's shield? Um, so that's okay. Okay. This seems, this is confusing, right? Yeah. When I first um read the solicit, I was thinking, what did I just read? Because the uh, solicit for number two already is already going to introduce um Cap Gwen. And then how this issue is supposed to um reintroduce her again. And then she's back on her earth, but at the wrong time. I'm thinking, what? Yeah, all of that is like really, really weird. And, and I know particularly to say that there is a cat. Like we already know the cats in America of Earth 65, right? We, we know we know Samantha Wilson. We've we've read that comic and it's a good comic and that's a good character. And and this does does. I don't. I don't want to call it. Obviously, this comic could come out, and it could acknowledge the existence of Samantha Wilson sixty-five. However, this does seem like an erasure, so I'm concerned. The, the only thing I would say is it definitely seems like something is afoot. Something is amiss with the multiverse, or the time traveling, or her universe, or something that she has to fix, which would explain it. Or I'm thinking that like. Uh... This is probably around the time when Samantha disappeared in that interdimensional portal. And then Cap Gwen, for some reason, how she ended up there is one of her successors. It's just like with um, Isaiah Bradley or Jeffrey Mace back in 616 when Cap was frozen. Right, of course. So chronologically, it, 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 it doesn't conflict with the existence of Captain America 65 as we know her. So, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's fine. But but personally, I'm like really worried about Samantha Wilson because because I I still think about that one Tim Seeley line about not caring about continuity, um and and it's yeah I don't know we'll see what happens when it comes out so it's either that or else this is just a, one of those cases where the solicit writer is just making the issue seem cooler or just well not cooler but misdirecting because it's probably just not to spoil who Evil Gwen is just yet. Yeah, yeah, there is there is another aspect. I don't I don't ever want to judge a comic based off a solicit, but if I had to, this wouldn't be great. Um, that that's where I'm at with it. But yeah, uh, obviously we'll we will wait until that comic comes out and we'll review it then. But um, in the meantime, I'm stressed. So yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I guess we'll see until preview pages coming out, like the unlettered ones or the solicit for number four comes out, which whichever comes first. Mm-hmm. I'm saving my anger for then at an appropriate time, not preemptively. Um, so yeah, that that's all we have for for this episode's week end update. Um, so moving on to our reading, um, this week we are reading. Um, this is part one of three parts of our read through of Amazing Spider-Man 2018's Last Remains event by uh, Nick Spencer. Um, and we've been reading through Spider-Gwen's side stories and events and crossovers where she's kind of, she's an active participant, right? We've done the good ones and this is what's left. Um, no, that seems harsh. Um uh, look, um, so so last week we read Spider Geddon, uh, which was good. Um, we're now sort of in the uh, post, sort of like the initial Spider Gwen era. We're like post Spider Verse era now, and we're now sort of into this sort of time period where Gwen is 
on Earth 616 because she's in exile from Earth 65. So this this takes place after Party People, um, which is the last arc of the Ghost Spider comics, um, but before King in Black and Gwenum versus Carnage. So uh, she's not trapped, trapped on Earth 616, but she's living there, she's studying there, and she's kind of retired from superheroing on the regular. Um, although obviously superheroing here for the big event. Um, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of creators who who worked very hard on this event. There's Matt Rosenberg, uh, who works on the tie-ins. There's Patrick Gleason, uh, Frederico Vicenti, v- Vicentini, sorry, uh, Mark Bagley, Ryan Otley, and Umberto Ramos, and of course Nick Spencer wrote. Um, yeah, Nick Spencer wrote most of it. Um, and yeah, uh, that that's where we're at. We're going to read it. We're going to discuss our thoughts on this event. That's that's what we're gonna do. You sounded like you were wincing in pain when you were trying to say everything. Uh huh. I yeah. That 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 would be an accurate assessment of how I'm feeling about this event. You know, just think about it this way: we're ripping off the band. Well, the first of three band aids, anyway. Or in your case, removing a limb. <laughs> it's an amputation, not a ripping off of a band aid. Yeah. Um. So. So some background to Last Remains um, outside of Gwen's timeline. Uh, so what's going on in the Amazing Spider-Man comics? Because this is a Peter Parker event. Um, uh, so we've got Kindred. This is this is this is Kindred's thing. Uh, he is he is a demon person. Um, he's all bandaged up, so you can't see his face, so you don't know who he is. Um, and he's wearing a big cloak, um, and he likes to scheme against Spider-Man, but not in the way where like he's going to kill him, but in the way where he wants to play a mind game with Peter Parker. He's one of those villains. Um, recently, the Sin Eater. Um, Kindred likes to do this thing where he revives villains for Spider-Man to fight, and Sin Eater was recently revived, and he's been given the ability where when he uses his shotgun on people, um, it cleanses them of their sins and he lets him use their powers so what that's what sunita has been doing he's been going around and he's been cleansing supervillains of their powers and now he's got he's got all kinds of crazy stuff going on um he's like a power vampire mary jane is also quite present in an expense run but she's kind of she's kind of dipped out for a bit because she's filming a film with mysterio yeah and it all takes place in leah williams and carlos gomez's amazing mary jane mini yeah, so that's that's off happening in a different series. Um, so she's not quite present, uh, at least from the vast majority of this episode. And also Norman Osborn recently regained like his mind. Like he lost his mind. He thought he was Cletus Cassidy for a while after Absolute Carnage. It was a whole thing, but he doesn't think that anymore. Um, and he's he's now back to being um, vanilla version uh, Norman Osborn, um, and he's got a new job. He's the director of the Ravencroft Institute. Um, so the the lunatic is running the asylum. Um, in in you know, like it's the, it's the saying. What's more ironic than that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Norman Osborn is in charge of the crazy people in this. Um, and we've got other people in this book. We've got kind of a, a full raft of of spider people who appear as a sort of side group. Um, and yeah, of course, uh, Gwen is Gwen is here. Like we said, exiled to Earth six one six after the storm's ultimatum. Um, and so, last remains is is really the sort of big. It's it was supposed to be the first big thing Kindred was doing more directly instead of being through another supervillain like Kindred was actually doing stuff. Um, and that's sort of what this event was. Although a lot about what happens in this event changes because of retconning later in the same run. We'll get into it. It's a lot. Yeah, because a little bit of a disclaimer as um, if you go back to previous episodes, we kept mentioning about how uh, Kindred was really Sarah and Gabriel Stacy all along. But when we give this synopsis here, we're reading it in this perspective that um we didn't know that was them just yet. Yeah. Um, in in this book, we didn't know that Kindred was actually Gabriel and Sarah. That's not the big reveal here. The big reveal is a different big reveal, but it was a fake out big reveal. It's, I, this is a book. It is it is a comic book. It is yep, and we're reading it. And it happened, so you can't take that back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can hear the glee in your voice when you say that. I can. <laughs> you're you're enjoying my pain here. I'm I'm not a sadist, but 
Yeah, okay. Um, so, so would we like to do the synopsis? Uh, we recommend reading uh, today's issues uh, first before listening to this podcast. Uh, and the issues are... Wait, what are the issues? It's number 48, and then The Sins of Norman Osborne, number one, and then number 49, 50, and then 50 LR. Right. Those issues, all from the Amazing Spider-Man 2018 run. Um, so please do... Uh, look those up on Marvel Unlimited or Comixology or and the floppies that you still have in your collection um, or however you bought this. Um, please read it. Um, uh, but to get everybody on the same uh, page, as it were, we're going to do a synopsis and summarize the full event so everybody so everybody knows what's happening and we're all our memories are fresh. So shall we begin? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So... The Sin Eater's mobs terrorize New York, so Spider-Man, feeling overwhelmed, enlists help from his allies in fending off the attackers. In particular, he wants their advice on whether or not to protect Norman Osborn from the Sin Eater fanatics attacking the Ravencroft Institute. Miles encourages Peter to let them do it, citing his experience with the ultimate green goblin of his universe. Peter looks to Gwen 65 for what Gwen 616 would want but she refuses to make the decision for him as a choice is his own. Madam Webb says that if left alive, Norman will kill again. Despite all that, however, Peter begrudgingly decides to rescue Norman from the clutches of fanatics now rampaging through Ravencroft. Elsewhere, Miles, Gwen, Madam Webb, Jessica Drew, Cindy Moon, and Anya Corazon meet and discuss Peter's decision. They've all been experiencing visions or dreams of Peter's death at the hands of the Green Goblin and decide to stop Peter from saving Norman. Even Gwen, despite some reluctance on her part, goes along with this. Together, they form the Order of the Web. Norman and Peter flee the mob by accessing Norman's hidden workshop within Ravencroft. Norman's plan to use the Juggernaut imprisoned within Ravencroft to fight off Sin Eater goes terribly awry when the strong supervillain is dispatched easily. Norman takes the Goblin formula and suits up once more as the Green Goblin to fight against the Sin Eater and his forces alongside Spidey. The Order of the Web observes all of the action using spectral forms through the Web of Life and Destiny. They react in dismay to Peter's decision to work with Norman, but Gwen expresses dissent to the group's plan. Gwen emphasizes that Peter knows the risks and that this is his plan and his choice to make. She manages to persuade the group not to stop Peter from doing what he decides to do. Sin Eater, now transformed into a hulking mass similar to the Juggernaut, empowered with the villain's abilities, confronts Peter and Norman. He proves more than a match for the two of them, and so they are forced to flee using Norman's secret facilities built underneath Ravencroft. Sin Eater briefly catches up to them, but taking advantage of the building buckling from all of the fighting, brings down the floor on them all. Norman rescues Peter from some trapped rubble, repaying him for a similar selfless action that Peter took long ago. Nothing stops the Sin Eater, though, and he closes in on them both. Together, Norman and Peter put up enough of a fight to delay their shared enemy long enough to come up with a plan to trap him in wet concrete. Sin Eater is defeated for now, but Norman turns on Peter now, attempting to trap him in the concrete too, until the arrival of the Order of the Web. Gwen apprehends Norman, and Miles pulls Pete from the trap. Together, they take a transport out of Norman's secret facility. Creepily, he notes Gwen's presence and starts prepositioning her. Gross. Peter reacts aggressively to this, but Gwen steps in to defend herself. Norman raves with glee about killing Gwen and all of Peter's allies at this point, prompting Peter to throw him out of the transport for Sinita to find. Kindred plots his plan for Peter's demise by unearthing the remains of Peter's dead friends and allies. He arranges them in a chamber as if they are awaiting a dinner party. Sinita catches up to Norman, and despite all of the villains pleading for mercy, he cleanses him of his demons. The vigilante kneels, expecting absolution from Kindred for his service, but he is rejected. Sinita has failed to repent for his original sin, one buried deep within his memories the murder of his police partner back in his pre-vigilante days. He weeps as the demons and sins he absorbed from all the villains take form and leave his body. The demons seek out the transport carrying Peter and the Order of the Web, invading through the vents. They possess and transform each member of the Order, turning them into demonic-empowered versions of themselves. 
Peter attempts to fight off the possessed order and make them regain their senses to no avail. He dawns on the thought that his ditching Norman because of his anger led to his friends becoming possessed, to which the possessed Madame Webb confirms. However, he notes that the voice is not hers, but rather Kindred's, and realises he made a grave mistake leaving Norman to Sinita's mercy. The possessed Miles breaks one of the pod's windows, threatening to drown everyone until Peter Webb slings onto the pod and pulls it to the surface. As Peter collapses from exhaustion, Kindred through Anya taunts him about his failures to save his loved ones while the Order restrains him. Kindred Anya then doses Peter with enough spider venom to kill a small elephant to incapacitate him. Now speaking through Jess, Kindred tells Pete that when he recovers, to come find him alone. The demon has a surprise planned for him as the possessed Order departs to cause mayhem. Peter, bruised and battered, makes his way to Doctor Strange for his assistance. There, Strange heals his wounds and chides him for essentially making a deal for demonic entity before Cindy Moon smashes through the window of the Sanctorum. Norman wakes up, left behind in the waters of his secret facility beneath Ravencroft. Now purged of his sins, Norman is repentant when found by Ravencroft colleague Dr. Ashley Kafka and some other staff. He pleads for their help in finding Kindred, feeling responsible for the villain who he reveals to be his son, Harry Osborne. Norman recounts to Kafka how he was once fearful of the goblin in the past, now feeling great remorse over his past transgressions. Kafka asks Norman to elaborate further on Kindred, whom he believes is Harry, to her curiosity. Norman tells her about the time Kindred visited him in his Ravencroft cell during the events of Absolute Carnage, taunting Harry instead of trying to help him. Norman further recounts the ways he mistreated Harry in the past, despairing that Harry's actions are because of him. He begins to break down, fearful of the possibility that he's lost his son forever, and it's all his fault. Kafka brings Norman out of his stupor, wanting to help him, and proposes that they bring in an intermediary to de-escalate the Osborne family drama. Norman wonders if Kafka is talking about herself, but the doctor tells him that Harry would respond better to someone he is close to. She asks him if he can think of someone his son would listen to and trust. At the airport, Mary Jane returns home, taking a break from filming her movie, remarking that it's good to be back. And this has been part one of three of our last remains. Okay, one thing I have to say up front. Compared to Spider-Geddon, this is way less dense. Like, we we read the same amount of comic as, like, all of, like, but, but like, summarizing an issue took me much less time. And the reason is because they just, they go on a lot. They just, they just, it's a lot of comic, but not a lot of event. And and it and it comes through. It's it's a problem with this whole run. I think it's also because there's some redundance between the issues. How uh, like um some of the following issues they're just retelling what happened in the previous one, and then it's just a whole lot of bleeding. Oh, so much, so much. Like the first, it feels like the first four pages of every single issue is just a recap, and it drives me nuts. Like there is there, there is so much room to do stuff that is just not used um and and yeah this this event should not take us should should not have been three episodes long this should not have been three episodes worth of podcast long basically that's what i'm saying like it, it could have been much much shorter and they could have done the exact same things with the exact same reveals with the exact same development and it would have been more enjoyable but it's it's so long and they are doing absolutely nothing, and it drives me nuts reading this. I think we we only agreed to doing the whole sixteen issues because Gwen is pretty prominent in it. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, Gwen, I, at least in this first bit, has a really interesting speaking role with how she is handled, the interactions she gets to have with different characters from Peter and his cast, um, and that is worth, I think. Um, it, it absolutely makes Last Remains as important as doing Spider-Geddon or Spider-Verse or the Web Warriors stuff. It's absolutely up there. Yeah, but the biggest, like, a what the what for me was how Gwen is just suddenly forgives Peter for his position in Outlaw. I'm thinking, they just entered on, on a frosty note and party people and then suddenly all is forgiven? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel like Nick Spencer is sort of 
up to date with Outlawed with Gwen's comics. Like, it feels like he's been told that if he wants to use Ghost Spider in his comic, her status quo permits that. But it doesn't feel like he's read any of Maguire's run. Um, there isn't any reference to the symbiote. There isn't any reference to the Earth 65, the exile from Earth 65, rather. And in particular, uh, specifically concerning Peter, which is something you would expect to come up, is the fact that in the Ghost Spider run, the last interaction Peter and Gwen have is a big falling out over the outlawed law, right? Um, and due to COVID, that storyline died. We spoke with Sean and Maguire, but by and large, that event very much died back. And the role it was supposed to play in the Ghost of Spider comics also um, was pruned back, um, which means that we don't have any resolution to that. Even though Peter and Gwen, you know, have the time to discuss that sort of thing here, or even just to touch upon it, it is not done. They do not talk or mention the big argument from Ghost of Spider number seven or six. Eight. Number eight. Wow. Okay. Ghost Spider eight. Um, so there, there isn't any reference to that where things were very, very heated. Um, but yeah. Um, so, which is a shame, I think. But also, I don't like if Nick Spencer doesn't want to touch on that and he wants to do his own thing. Um, this is this doesn't necessarily contradict that continuity as such. And also, his characterizations for Gwen aren't off. I don't think. I think the way he writes Gwen is fine. It's good. Well, at least it's way less perky than um, Costa. No, absolutely. Um, the way he writes Gwen is as somebody who is very, very conscious about the amount of agency that um, they as uh, individuals have. And I think that's a really interesting angle to come at. One of the things that like Pete does when he talks to her, he's like, I really, really want to know what my Gwen would have wanted me to do right now. And he's sort of, he's almost looking to spider Gwen to tell him that. And she essentially, she tells him off. She's like, no, um, in a nice way, obviously. She's like, no, no, I, I can't speak to her experience. We're very different people. And, um, and, and she's certainly not this angel that everybody seems to make her out to be. I'm sure she's saying, um, and, and, and essentially she's like this is pete's decision and pete has to make it and we have to respect that as well yeah i did like how gwen tried to emphasize that you know she is not her 616 counterpart she's a very different person because even when she told pete that even though that gwen it was this idealized angelic person like she said that herself that she certainly isn't and she doesn't think that gwen 616 isn't either yeah, and I think that's a really good understanding of Spider Gwen. I uh, it's certainly more than uh, than what a lot of these TikTokers wanting Spider Gwen and and Spider Man to be shipped in the MCU uh, want. Um, and yeah, no, it's it's a it's a it's a nice framing for the character, and it's a nice moment as well. There's a nice page that essentially Gwen gets. Um, Madame Web gets a similar one. Miles gets a similar one. But Gwen also has like essentially a, a page where where they give their opinions on this big decision. Peter is just trying to make about you know does he defend uh, Norman and the Ravencroft Institute from Sinita and his mob, or does he leave it sort of play out as as expected. Um, and yeah, no, like Gwen, Gwen is very, very concerned with agency. And I think that makes sense for a character who is born out of um, essentially the, the loss of agency of um, and and sort of bridging and stuff. So, uh, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, she even says it in her herself um, in her speech with Pete. She says it can get a little weird living half the time in a world where you're buried somewhere. Got to find ways to make peace of it. And then a few panels later. She said that Gwen 616 wasn't the subplot in Pete's story or anyone else's. She ended up on the bridge was her life and she owned it. Yeah, and, and I do have to say that is something I like about the way Nick Spencer writes Spider-Man. He doesn't have all these moments where he's like, he he's really dial, dialing up Peter's trauma over Gwen's death. Um, like he doesn't, he doesn't lean into that whole sort of that fridging trope of having the male character being really sad about his love interest getting violently and suddenly killed off. Like he doesn't, he doesn't lean into that. Like what a lot of other Spidey writers do. And I, you know, that, that, that ultimately sets him up well to use Gwen in the right way, Gwen 65 in the right way. Sorry. Um, and that's, that's good. It's good stuff. Um, and, uh, and I've been, you know, I, for as much as I don't like how this event is or how it uses Gwen for really the rest of the event, those scenes with her are really, really good. 
Um, and the fact that she is the one who brings the order around on the idea that really Pete should be the one to make the call uh, on Norman, you know, it's his sacrifice to make, et cetera, et cetera, um, it is a good speech. Yeah, she gives a whole TED talk about it. Mm, she does. It's a really cool moment. Um, I really like it. Um, and it's the kind of like moral, moralizing and like, like moral, no, the kind of moral deliberation rather that I enjoy about Spider Man comics, like where it was a bunch of people just sat around talking about what's the right thing to do and getting really, uh, really anxious about it all. But yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it's a good, it's a good moment. But I kind of found it really dark about when um when the order was first gathering, how Cindy called them her, Miles and Julia, you know, the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Yeah, yeah, they were, yeah. And Gwen's the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah, Gwen is the ghost, yeah, for real. Um, she's ghost, ghost, ghost spider. Um, so, yeah, that was, I, was, I like, that was a good, that was a good way of framing it, um, I think. Um, that sort of, yeah. And then later, good for Gwen for standing up to Norman's creepiness, because the way that, um, like, that she handled him sniffing around her, I'm like, uh... Yeah. Yeah, so there's yeah, the, there there the whole scene where Green Goblin is like, where he 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 viscerally reminds the reader that um, sins past is a real event that existed, and um and he he references that, um, obviously sort of Gwen, uh, sticks up for herself, um, and and such, and yeah, but it was really creepy. And you know she tells Peter that um she doesn't need him to defend herself. I think they wanted her to be um you know obviously they didn't they didn't want again I don't think they wanted to lean into the whole the whole using um female trauma to uh, sort of give the, the 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 male lead angst thing. So they wanted to give her a few speaking lines where she kind of stuck up for herself. But ultimately Pete is the one to throw him out of the transport. But I feel like if Nick Spencer remembered the symbiote, Gwen could have lashed out on Norman right there and now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a missed opportunity. I think I think there are a lot of times where it would make sense to use the symbiote in some way, either in like a an action way, like Gwen's moving about, sort of to establish her sort of unique visual identity, but also like for her to express emotion um, and, and not even necessarily to attack Norman, but even to, you know, give, give us a spiky hood or something. Um, but that requires both the writer and the artist to get the memo about it, and like you know, I don't know. I I do think it's a missed opportunity to not use the symbiote, especially if if she gets turned evil, right? Like, which is what happens here. She gets possessed by a demon. You'd expect Gwenum to come out, but Gwenum doesn't, which sucks. Um, but yeah, like that sort of that runs the gamut of like I think Gwen's role in this event, which is which is fun and interesting. Um, at least. You know, that's sort of, that's most of it as well for the rest of the event. <laughs> yeah, well, until we get to part two and part three when she's all demonized and then not. Um, yeah, so that, there is this thing which is established where Kindred at the very end, like the big thing which happened at the very end, that he, he uses the sins of Norman and all of these people. He does a thing where he, he turns everybody and he turns them all into weird monster things. Mostly, that's just to keep Peter busy. Right, it is. I don't. I don't enjoy it really. Um, I don't. Um, they literally don't have a voice. Um, and and I and I don't like. There's that line where like something about when Peter Parker gets involved in things, he becomes the center of attention. I think from Gwen, in an event or something. Um, like things become about him. Oh yeah, that was during um life of Gwen Stacy when she was talking to her six one seven counterpart. She didn't want six one seven Pete to get involved. Right, right. And this, while being uh, a neat little jab from Gwen at Pete, um, is a thing which happens when a writer is writing a Peter Parker Spider Man story and brings in these other superheroes, um, and and other characters who 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 have who should normally have as much agency ends up writing them in a, such a way where all of their decisions and all of their characterizations are like reduced 
and reformatted to pivot entirely around Peter Parker. Um, and obviously it happens to an extent with them being really, really involved with Peter's moral decisions. Like they're really, really concerned about it to begin with, which obviously Gwen is against. Um, but then the, it literally gets to the point where they are voiceless um, and they're now all evil now because of Kindred and they're going around destroying stuff as just a distraction for Peter Parker. Literally like their faces are being borrowed, their clout is being borrowed, but you don't get, you don't get much development for these characters outside of Gwen and Miles and Madam Web. You're not really getting much. Like if you're an Anya Corazon fan, this event must have been really disappointing. If you're a Jessica Drew fan, this event must have been really disappointing because to see these characters and have their faces on the front of several of these covers only to then like read it and find that they're, they're having some like really gross stuff happen to them. Um, if you're a Cindy Moon fan as well, um, that's not a fun time. Um, and I'm just, I don't enjoy this framework. I, I would have much preferred just, you, you <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's a good way to do it, really. And and so, yeah, it's become all about Peter Parker now. And these characters are voiceless. Yeah, I think that um for Demon Gwen, her design... I don't think they even needed a new design for Demon Gwen. They could have just have her be souped up Gwenum. Yeah, they, and the thing is, like, the, the demon effect isn't kept consistent across the different artists. They will draw the different disfigurements and stuff which happened to them differently and yeah it, it, it it's strange and yeah i i'm not i'm not having a good time with that aspect of it i don't like that that i mean i mean at least for the middle part of this particular event takes up so much time and is a whole thing um and it's all about peter parker and his his mistakes or every, so everybody else suffers it's, it's this whole th- I, I don't i don't enjoy that framework i don't enjoy that way of treating these characters not a fun time well since you mentioned that this has become all about peter parker now let's just get to him anyway mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he is i i look he puts so much energy in deciding whether or not to protect norman osborne and Meanwhile, Sinita's guys are definitely attacking a lot of people. Like, a lot of people are being attacked by Sinita and his mobs. But everything has stopped to decide whether or not to save Norman. And look, honestly, I don't think it's a good thing to execute people. I don't think it's a good thing to use demonic whatevers to cleanse them and make them good again. I don't think that's that's like a morally good way of going about redeeming people. Is that another brainwashing technique, do you think? It's brainwashing. Absolutely, it's brainwashing. And and just because it's brainwashing somebody to be nice, it doesn't mean I think, you know, you should do it. Um, you shouldn't brainwash people. That's a bad thing to do. But But that aside... Like, surely Spider-Man is, he's got to prioritize here. Like, Norman Osborn would be on the bottom of my list of people to have long moral deliberation about in the middle of a very violent uprising by a, like, uh, puritanical group like the Sin Eaters people. Um, like, he even drops a line where he's like, they attacked a mosque. And you're like, okay, go defend the mosque then. Go defend <laughs> the vulnerable people who aren't doing anything wrong instead of going to defend Norman Osborn and the Ravencroft Institute. Like, priorities, man. And and it seems like I get Spidey likes to have these really angsty deliberations, and I get that they like to lean into this. But, but really, like, logically speaking, it doesn't deserve this much energy. Obviously, if it came down to it, don't let Norman Osborn be brainwashed. Like, in the same way, don't let him, like, die needlessly or whatever. I appreciate that. But there's so much energy is spent on this here. And he still ends up going back on it anyway. Um, like, and you're like, for what? Like, you're looking at Ravencroft rumble around this whole fight. He's trying to save Norman Osborn while presumably the entire asylum is being taken over. And you can see other people like side characters being affected and hurt by it. Um, and he's just like, yeah, I got to save Norman. I don't get it. I don't like it. It's a really strange thing to get really stuck on. It's really, really weird. I wanted to touch upon how uh, one of his reasons for deciding to back out of saving Norman was because he keeps coming back to this, um, like his murder of Gwen 616. And I'm thinking that that was all Norman's fault. I'm thinking, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not, it's, it's so strange. It's not, it's not right. It's not right. And, 
And the fact that the Order of the Web then will is literally stood around in spectral form using the Web of the Life and Destiny, which isn't elaborated on, by the way. They don't show how they do that because the Web and Life and Destiny is definitely broke. I don't understand how they're doing that. Um, they're literally just stood around watching this going, I can't believe that Peter Parker would save Norman Osborn. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, just get involved. Literally just start saving people. Maybe beat up a few Sin Eater guys. I don't know do some things they're just standing around to like the whole everything stops for this question about whether or not to save norman osborne while like presumably hundreds of people are being affected by this violent group rushing through new york city like it it, it baff it's baffling it's a really strange thing yeah the order is just being the watcher at this point like they can see that everything's happening but you know they choose not to interfere because um peter made his bed he's gonna go lie in it yeah for real like literally like it's it's it makes it makes no sense to me it's a really like it doesn't make any sense it it seems very out of character for these particular characters who are all about saving people yeah i i i wasn't it, it seemed like a really strange route to take here and then remember it comes to bite him back in the ass later when uh, he let his anger get the better of him when he ditched norman he does. He does. And, and and then, yeah, it just ends up all being for nothing anyway. And it's almost like Kindred planned it around Peter making that decision eventually, which also doesn't make sense. Like, how would Kindred know that Sinita would go after Norman? How does he know that Spidey's going to save Norman? How does he know that he's going to be there in time? And how does he know that Spidey's eventually going to go back on his decision and let Norman be killed anyway? And how does he know that all these other people are going to be there so that he has to unleash? Like, it's it all sort of comes together as if Kindred is planning it, and he talks about it as if he's planning it. But in the actual fact, it just... It's just occurring. It's it's a really random sequence of events which is occurring not because of any real internal logic. I think this is just because of behavior, how Kindred could have seen all of this happening. Yeah. I I I I, I guess but but like the the weird back and forth everybody's going over it, 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 it doesn't it yeah, I it, it doesn't click together in a narratively satisfying way. And it doesn't yeah, I'm not I'm not vibing with it really at all. And even when he uh, teamed up with the goblin, you could tell by his dialogue that he is not enjoying this at all. No, he doesn't. Actually, I will say I did really really enjoy the action scenes where Peter and Norman are like fully suited up and fighting Sinita guys. That was really fun and then like Peter's having to stop Norman from going full kill mode. Um it's it's really i just i i enjoyed that like that that big that big spread where they're both would look good is i will say this the action in this comic is good it is really good um ryan otley and umberto ramos and um even mark bagley when he's drawing it i, I think particularly very very good at at selling the action here and making it feel tense uh, in particular, there's sort of this, especially the way they do Sinita when he goes full juggernaut mode. Yeah, that like that was that was gruesome. That's the stuff of nightmares because you know, his flesh is all stretched out, and then he's got this face. Yeah, really great stuff, and I think they did a really good job. Like that whole sequence where they're running from juggernaut and like fighting him off it was all really well conceived. I say juggernaut, juggernaut Sinita rather. That was all a really well put together sequence. Um, and the way that Norman and Peter work together is really interesting. Um, and and you can see that Nick Spencer's really thought a lot about their particular relationship. As they have a sort of father-son dynamic. Or at least Norman likes to think that they have a father-son dynamic. Because um, in a way, Norman got what he wanted. He wanted uh, Peter to go work, work with him. Yeah, he does. Um, and and even, like, even when he's being evil and being like, I'm going to kill all your allies. He talks about it through the framework of like, we're going to be working together, Peter and Norman, best pals. Um, and and yeah, I don't know. It, it's yeah, he's clearly not a good dude. Although when they were running away from Juggernaut Sin Eater, um, Peter could have easily like left Norman back because you know they don't have to outrun the Sin Eater. Peter just has to outrun Norman. This is true. This is another thing which occurs, occurs to me at this point is, yeah, really, the, the, which is eventually what happens, right? They just they just leave Norman to be, to be cleansed. Um, 
So, yeah. Yeah, this is pretty basic because um, if you and someone else um, are being chased by something, you don't have to outrun the thing that's chasing you. You just have to outrun your friend. This is true. In fact, that is a thing they use in, in another Nick Spencer Amazing Spider-Man arc. Doesn't, um, Vulture has a whole thing about that in the Hunted arc when he's running away next to the Gibbon. Um, he, he uses that story about the whole, I just need to run faster than you thing. Uh, that whole line. That's, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. You get that vibe from it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much um, selfishness at this point. For real, it is. Um, and I'm... Wait, is it selfishness or self-preservation? I don't know. It, a lot of it's, I think, it, it's coming from a place of anger. Like, obviously, not what Norman was saying was abhorrent. Like, the stuff that he was talking about to do with um, Gwen 616, and obviously how he wanted to kill all of Peter's friends and allies there. Uh, obviously, that was really awful, really heinous. And I think it was out of, I guess, a sense of protectiveness for them. And I guess like insult to honor. I don't think it is just selfishness on Peter's part that he does end up leaving Norman behind like that. It is it is from a sense of like he he's very conscious of the extremely active threat that a green goblin Norman Osborn poses to those he loves. And even the big reason of their um enmity for the first place was because Norman hated Peter for saving him back in the day. Yeah, I thought that was that was interesting that it was uh and Norman returns the favor and yeah. And then as soon as they get on the sub, like the deal's off when he starts acting like a creeper around Gwen 65, just sniffing around her and then making suggestive comments about her counterpart. Like, because he said, I'd like to focus on the happier times. Mm -mm. He's not a good dude. He's not a good dude. So, yeah, I'm... But th- but thankfully that just turns out to be a fake memory because even the Osborne AI was like um get real dad Gwen was way too classy for you. I'm I'm glad they clarified that because it really was an awful awful retcon to Gwen. I'm glad they retconned the retcon. Although remember when we were under the impression that the order would have been uh showing up in Sinister War, but they didn't. Yeah, I I also heard that. I rem- I remember I remember us discussing about maybe having to read it and then it just not it not occurring. So it would have been so awkward if the kindred saw Ghost Spider unmasked and then they're like, "Mom." <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously they have to know, right? Like, like Kindred knows that Gwen sixty five is an alternate version of their biological mother, right? Like that's not yeah. it's not out of the realm of. But I'm just talking about in a moment of weakness. Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's certainly a thing that Kindred is in fact the Stacy children. That is certainly a decision that was made, and I'm sure in its own way there is an internal logic to it that I just don't understand yet. I'm the way of the Kindred twins. I guess we're getting to them now. Um. Because they kept mentioning throughout this arc, um, what is the sin that Peter forgot about? And um, during the Sinister War arc, it's I get the implication that the sin that they're pressing Peter about is how he's forgotten them. Yeah. Honestly, though, Peter Parker's had enough storylines where he's messed up and forgotten about it that, that you know like there's a lot of ambiguity in that like so obviously every time i read that i was thinking oh it's talking it's talking about one more day it's talking about him and mj right because he lit- literally doesn't remember that happening so i um and, and obviously it's touched upon a lot by doctor strange in this event so i thought that's what they were referencing but i, I don't know if that is a deliberate wording to throw the reader off maybe because yeah, it turns out that that whole big sin that um, that was being thrown about was um, sins past. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's there's a lot of there's there's a big thing about remembering awful stuff that you've done in the past. Like that, that's that's a recurring thing they go back to in this. They do it with Sinita. Obviously, they do it with Peter. They do it with Norman. A lot of it is 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 sort of this this calling back to terrible things that these characters have done in the history. I want to circle back to Norman when um, like when he was cleansed, you can see um like the fear in his eyes, like he really did feel genuinely remorseful for what he did. 
And then that comes into factor later during Sinister War when he's confronted by the AI and the twins. Yeah, yeah. So he's reformed here uh, really by Sinny to like, he doesn't have the voices, I suppose, that came with Green Goblin. No, his no, his sins are roaming about somewhere. And um, well, when this episode drops, um, Amazing Spider-Man 88 by the Beyond team w- would have already been come out. And uh, there's this whole deal about um, in the preview, it's implied that um, Queen Goblin was because of uh, Norman's sins being infused into Ashley Kafka. So the thing which turned the Order of the Web into monsters is the thing which created Queen Goblin? Yeah. That's what the preview implies because it seems that Beyond Corporation has captured Norman's sins. That's oh, and they do it deliberately to Ashley Kafka. Yeah, I, I actually I want to read Beyond. It sounds interesting. I, uh, I'll read anything critical of a corporation, even if, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad it's a return. It's a return to form for, for Spider-Man yeah. comics, I suppose. But anyway, back to the uh, Kindred Twins. So um, even though in the synopsis it says that it's seemingly that Harry was really Kindred, as seen in Sinister War, they were just impersonating Harry. Yeah, which which is obviously e- which is obviously easy for for Gabriel, who is um, he does look exactly like him. So no, Gabriel kind of looks different from Harry. Like he doesn't even have the hair. It's been established during Chameleon Conspiracy that um, they've been using serum to impersonate Harry. I guess Mephisto forgot to give the twins everything. Mm, I, I, I've been trying to read this whole run in preparation for the podcast recordings here, but um, I, I think I'm only on like issue number 26 outside of Last Remains. That's that. I've, I've only read the first 26 issues of this. I don't know how long this run is. It feels like it's taking forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, but anyway, the way to differentiate the kindreds going forward is that Sarah is purple coat and Gabriel is brown coat, and we mostly see Gabriel here. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, they're um, they're a pair. They are a pair. They're just those those two rascal children. It's just a just a pair of mischievous kids, you know. Just yeah, one twin is digging up the graves, and then. The other twins are prepping the bodies for dinner. It's incredibly grim, and also like like Gwen still having her full head of hair. And what's up with that? I don't know. I guess she's just lucky. Like even Captain Stacy has his hair. Like the bodies that have been set up for the for the dinner party are incredibly intact, given that they're supposed to have been dead for like eight years. Unless of the twins just went to Party City to pick up some wigs. Maybe. And then, like, should I get into this whole um, rant about why I suspected that Kindred was uh, the real Gwen Stacy back to life all along? Yeah, tell us about your Gwen Stacy is Kindred theory that you had or have for other. So, throughout my entire run before last remains or like before sinister war even because with flash remains i was like bitch please with the, the reveal of harry so mm-hmm. yeah the clues to kindred being gwen was that at first kindred was drawn androgynously so you couldn't tell um if he was a man or a woman because um there were some artists like uh it depends on the artist who drew him mm-hmm. what was really telling for me was when kindred went to go visit norman well, this was Sarah visiting Norman back in Ravencroft in Abscarn, where uh, he told her that um, she was his legacy and uh, he's proud of her. And then Kindred just walked away irked. And Norman's murder of Gwen is his proudest achievement. So that's what really sold it for me, that uh, that Kindred was really Gwen. Mm-hmm. And then there was also back in um, the Friends and Foes arc, you know, with the Black Cat heist. I think that was the name of the arc. Uh, Kindred got into a temper when Peter and Felicia rekindled their friendship. Right, right. And then there was also um, during Hunted when uh, Kindred referred to Craven the Hunter as toxic masculinity. That's generally a term that a woman uses. Yeah, that makes sense. And then Last Remains, if it weren't for COVID and if it weren't for the Gwen Stacy mini being canceled because of COVID... 
I kind of thought that that was a kindred origin story just because um, the schedules would have lined up to um, like the Gwen Stacy mini would have been right before Last Remains Mm -hmm. or like even before Sins Rising before COVID canned it. Gotcha. That mean that makes sense. And and I I honestly I would have much preferred this event if the reveal was that Gwen was kindred, and yeah, because Gwen fit the profile the best. Like I watch a lot of Criminal Minds. I think I know um when someone's <laughs> it. <laughs> you just need Spencer Reed to make the case for you. Yeah, I think it's just because um, well at the end of Sinister War, I was technically right. It was a Stacy. I was just wrong which Stacy it was. Yeah, no, you, you got you got the right family tree. Yeah, so basically that's it on my rant about um why I believe that Kindred was Gwen Stacy all along. Yeah, that makes sense. And honestly, even thematically speaking, Gwen Stacy still fits into the whole like sins sin like sins of long ago vibe they're going for with all of this. And she was referred to as a kindred spirit. Yeah. Yeah, I hear it. I see the vision. I like the vision. And I remember when the uh, preview dropped uh, for that one Amazing Spider-Man issue where they reveal that it's uh, it's Sarah Stacy underneath the Kindred costume and, it, and everybody going, oh my days, it really is Gwen all along and everybody being really pumped and hyped to read it and then it turning out to be the Stacy twins. I guess it's because, um, well, when you look at Spencer's run out of a hole, he's using a lot of characters that were previously uh, forgotten about. For example, Mendelstrom in Back to Basics. Mm. Yeah, I saw that. I remember that. And then um, who else did he bring back? Nora Winters. Uh, well, Sin Eater. Yeah. So I, I guess it made sense for him to um, reutilize and rectify the Stacy twins. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's it sort of it came it came together in the end, I guess. Um, yeah. So who else uh, have we got here? We got the Order of the Web, uh, who we've, I guess we've already touched upon. But um, I, I just want to know your opinion because we talked about this a lot when like um electing leaders, and everyone just um by default just chose Madam Web as the leader. I suppose I feel like Madam Web takes point on this. Um, because the the main issue of leaving Norman Osborn alive is his potential to kill in the future. Um, and really, Madam Webb, by confirming that that will be the case, um, it, it is essentially the most persuasive member of the group when it comes to making this decision to, to stop Peter, at least in the first place. But I will say that the Order of the Web doesn't feel like it has the whole, we have a single leader that we defer to vibe that like Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon had a lot. The Order of the Web does just feel like a group of very disconnected people coming together and and trying to work together um and and really that feels like like i wouldn't have minded a the the order comic or whatever they seem to be pushing towards for with spin-off like i wouldn't wouldn't have minded that that would have been fine but yeah i guess it didn't happen i i, I think the way the order of the web what runs is is fine and okay i just i just think they need to stop worrying about peter parker and worry about the big crisis going on but i guess julia being the leader kind of makes sense because she has seniority i think she's presumably um the oldest if we if we don't count jess's long convoluted history yeah um (laughs) and then she's also um the wielder of the web of reality so i guess that she's got that going for her Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that makes sense makes sense and I kind of also found it funny how um, Jess didn't remember Anya's name when they were literally uh, paired together during Spider-Verse. Yeah, that seemed harsh. That seemed harsh. I, yeah, I wasn't wasn't chuffed with that. I, uh, yeah, no, I, I like this group. I like how they, I will say this, uh, I do like some of the ways that they use later on in the event. And I do, I, th- I think I would have liked it more if the the dot lr issues and the sins of norman osborne was essentially dedicated to this group in a more meaningful way instead of it being about well this group is because obviously they're possessed for like three or four issues of it so so like it doesn't 
you know they don't do as much with it but if, if they'd done a proper dry run and given them something real to work with for the full bit of it and had them really work like have them actually function as if as if it is like a like a mini series or an ongoing featuring uh, the order of the web then i think it would have been really interesting but they don't do that with these characters and, and it's disappointing but i think the consolation that we got was that when they were freed from being demonized you know, they go off on a field trip with dr strange and black cat to dreamland yeah, that was interesting, and I'm looking forward to break, uh, breaking that down in future episodes. But yeah, I, I feel like if they had spread that particular arc over the course of the three chunks of this event, right, it would have been more interesting. And, uh, oh, this just occurred to me, you know, if Miles was split from the group, this is practically um another Spider-Women team. Yeah, and I don't think that was intentional. I do think they initially planned to have like Ben Riley or Kane on it as well, but they just didn't go that route. But yeah, no. it is very it is very non-dude heavy. Well, remember according to Beyoncé, who run the world? Girls. This is true. This is true. At least they should and a girl boss wins. <laughs> the girl boss feminism probably isn't the route to being patriarchy, but but alas, sort um, <laughs> of the web makes a good go at it. Uh, is it just I, Sin Eater left? Yeah, I guess it's just Sin Eater. Although um, I probably didn't put it in the notes because they were kind of very minor. MJ and uh, Ashley Kafka, but I think we'll get to Kafka a little bit later. Yeah, yeah, and MJ too, I suppose. So yeah, we got uh, we got Sin Eater in this event. Um, obviously, he's had a whole arc leading up to this. Um, yeah, he's he's a cool character. I like him. He's he's fun. Yeah, and because you know, usually he he's just a gun-toting villain, but um, since we mentioned that he has his magical shotgun that can absorb and steal everyone else's powers, like uh, prior to the synopsis, he already had the powers of Overdrive, Count Nefaria, Grey Gargoyle, Living Laser, and um, Whirlwind. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's really powered up here. Uh, one of the things I really like about the way they write uh, Sin Eater is... Uh, is they give him like uh like a really like weird kind of religious speech pattern um where he's often referencing scripture or at least like biblical ideas almost with all of his dialogue and it's impressive the degree to which they commit to that um and it and it makes him really interesting to read like a lot of what he's saying is like the like um let me see if i can find some instances of it um, like, I think um during the Sins Rising arc, there's this one issue where it's just his entire backstory. Yeah, it's he he's he's uh, he's he's a, he's a interesting character. I, f- I find the way that um Spencer writes him to be quite cool. Um, and uh, and we didn't mention in the, in the synopsis, but he actually stole Mister Negative's powers during this part too. Yes, yeah, they reference they reference that here as well. Yeah, it's uh. I can't. I I know I said this, and then I, I don't have any instances of it to show. I think it's just um number forty six, if I'm correct, or Sins Rising. I can't remember, but um anyway, yeah. There's a whole backstory, even as to why he chose the Sin Eater um name. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, I I think yeah, no, he's he's a uh, yeah, he's he's done in a really yeah, he's done in a really interesting way. I need to read the Sins Rising event still outside of that last issue which of course we included for this uh episode but yeah i'm I'm hoping i'll have actually read the full event by the time we've finished recording all of the last remain stuff so that i can speak to it in more detail by the end um uh but yeah it's uh yeah it's it's yeah uh it's, it's it's certainly a book it's certainly it's making a lot of decisions and you could also see, you know, the um, desperation in uh, Sin Eater's eyes when he's trying to talk to Kindred about, um, like, he's been told uh, what to do, and then um, what does he get out of it? Yeah, he's um, he he has a really hard time of it. Um, Kindred is he kind of gives a lot of his guys the same treatment, right? He gives uh, Mysterio a similar thing. He gives. You know, like this, where he brings somebody back with tasks for them to do, and then like yeah. reneges on the deals using technicalities. Yeah, because um, Sarah was the one who revived Sin Eater, but Gabriel was the one who took the sins away from him. Right. Yeah. Of course. It's um, yeah. They're uh, 
They're a pair. Those those two scoundrel kids, those two Stacy twins, just start just off causing trouble. Just, it's, ah. it's been the Stacy twins all along. <laughs> yeah. Um. Is that is that our? <laughs> oh, and uh, who would be um the, who would be the Sparky? And I killed Mysterio's therapist too. <laughs> Yeah, they they do, don't they? They straight up murder the therapist. No, yeah. I just that's just dawning on me. I'd read that issue not long since. Oh, and in the next part when we get to that in the next episode, Peter multiple times. Oh my days, we're gonna get into that. It, does that conclude our part one? Because I feel like if we say any more, it's just gonna end up being stuff that we're gonna cover in part two and three. Yeah, I guess that's probably it for part one of Last Remains because um. Yeah, if we talk too much about it, it's just going to make part two and three redundant. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're doing three episodes of Last Remains. So, um, yeah. Should, should well, I we're ripping off the Band-Aid. So. We're, yeah, we're doing it. We're, we're doing it. We're ripping off these Band-Aids. So um, for the next episode, um, as as we've stated, we're going to be doing part two of Last Remains. So that's issues uh, from Amazing Spider-Man uh, 51, 52, and 53, and the .LR issues that correspond. So 51 and 52, which kind of happen at the same time as as the ones in the main run um we're going to put links in the description for where to buy and read and the reading list that we include um which sort of covers all of spider gwen's bibliography um it has a little bit at the bottom about like different pointers on where to look for comic books please read it um and send in your thoughts on amazing spider-man less remains uh more generally speaking or if uh, you just want to send it in on on this particular chunk of uh, issues fifty one to fifty three and fifty one LR and fifty two LR. And, um, yeah, let us know. We think we kind of run this like a book club. So uh, let us know on Twitter at GS Groupies or at our email at GhostSpiderGroupies at gmail dot com, and also support us on Kofi because we're on Kofi now, and you can help pay uh, our podcast subscription costs. Yep. Um, Very much appreciated. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. I've been Pex, and I've been Abigail. Bye. Bye, everyone.